How have you treated yourself meanly or roughly? And how have you learned to be gentle with yourself? Welcome to episode 370 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Elisa, Anne, Jill, Nancy, Kate, Sue, and Andrea. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Elisa, Anne, Jill, Nancy, Kate, Sue, and Andrea, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends of family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer. I am your host. Joining me today is Anna. Welcome, Anna. And could you share where you're coming to us from? Hi, Spencer. Yes, I'm calling in from Germany, and I am very happy to be here with you because the podcast really has saved my life in the beginning. I listened to it throughout the night, the first night of drama. Yes. Maybe we'll get to that a little bit. The topic that you chose, first you said self-love, and then you said no, gentleness with myself, loving kindness towards myself as step zero that being kinder to yourself is one of the greatest gifts you received from the program. Absolutely, without even realizing it. And and I think I read that and I immediately wrote back and said, yes, let's do this thing. Great. So let's start with one of your readings. Yes, I picked the Just for Tonight card to start with because it really, every evening when I read it, if I remember to read it, it just comforts me. It really comforts me. So here we go. Just for tonight, I will be grateful. I will give thanks for the past day, its failures as well as its successes, its sadness as well as its joy, and its pain as well as its pleasure. I will take comfort in knowing that every event and circumstance that occurred today can be used for my good and the good of others. Just for tonight, I will accept that I have done the best I could remembering that my goal is spiritual progress and not perfection. I will let go of any expectation I had for this day, as well as any disappointment, shame, or guilt I felt for not being perfect today. Just for tonight, I will be humble. I will give my shortcomings to a power greater than myself, trusting that doing so can bring about changes in me that I could not bring about by myself. Just for tonight, I will not attempt to rectify today's mistakes or solve tomorrow's problems. I will remind myself that I am better able to receive guidance when my mind and body are rested and refreshed. Just for tonight, I will set aside my fears, frustrations, and aspirations and take a few minutes to review the abundance that exists in my life today. I will place my future in the care of a loving God of my own understanding Trusting my needs will be met at a time and in a way that is best for all concerned. Just for tonight, I will release my loved ones to my higher power's care. I will free myself from trying to do the impossible, changing the actions, attitudes, or life of anyone other than myself. Just for tonight, I will set aside anger, judgment, resentment, envy, and hurt feelings. I will ask my higher power to bless those whose actions I feel troubled by 
and to change my attitude to one of love, acceptance, and compassion. Just for tonight, I will find a safe, comfortable place to lie down and close my eyes. I will remind myself I am both deserving and in need of rest. I will look forward to awakening to the new day, feeling rested and ready to follow my higher power's guidance. That's it. That's like the prayer for the night. Yeah, it is a bookmark, basically. That's the shape that it is anyway. Obviously, you can use it however you want to use it. Lay it on your nightstand or whatever. As I recall, this card came out just a few years ago. Yes, it's relatively new. It was made for me. (laughs) (laughs) Says copyright 2019. Wow. Okay. It's really new. So we've had just for today bookmark for a long time. I don't know when that came out. And when they announced this one, I, I was eagerly awaiting it and it did not disappoint. Yeah, because the great thing is the just for today card to me is really, I love it. And there was a time where I really, I read it every day in the morning. But I can use the Just for Today card to really push myself really hard and to see all the things that I did not do. And there's like in this little paragraph, there are little paragraphs. And, yeah. and I, I know this one paragraph in there, there's like a million things in one little paragraph. So even to tell myself, okay, I'm just going to do one paragraph today can be huge. So the the Just for Tonight card was like, to me, for my uh, crazy mind, it was very important to to remember it's progress, not perfection. And I need to be gentle with myself and do the best I can. Yeah, this it is wonderful and very much is about being gentle with yourself. Exactly. Just for tonight, I will not attempt to rectify today's mistakes or solve tomorrow's problem. That is so gentle. I don't have to perseverate on what happened today. I don't have to worry about what I'm going to do tomorrow. I can let go of that just for right now, just for tonight. And find a safe, comfortable place to lie down and close my eyes. And it's wonderful. It's great, great opening. I think the whole language is just really, like I said, it's soothing. And this this whole concept of being gentle has been so new to me. And I didn't even know that I was being harsh to myself. I didn't even realize it until I started talking to myself differently, nicer, kinder. Yeah. I, I, I'd like to ask new guests to maybe share a little bit of, of their story, how you came to recovery, uh, if you'd like to do that. Yes, I can try. I learned about Alanon in, I think, maybe 2013 or something like that. I was married to an active drinker and I knew that I had the solution for him. He had to go to AA and so tried it and I tried Alanon in Germany and didn't really find what I was looking for. Our marriage got worse and worse after he joined AA because <laughs> he kept having relapses and everything and it became really bad. It took me another four years to actually join the fellowship of Alanon. Hmm. I did Alanon all by myself for four years. How did you do that? Did you have books? I had the one day at a time book. Okay. My husband gave that to me. 
Interesting. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, I owe it all to him. I owe it all to him. And he's my ex-husband now. I should probably mention that. Anyways, yeah, it took me quite a while until I made use of this wonderful gift that is our fellowship. Mm-hmm. That really helped me so much because I was such an enabler. I, I call myself the chief executive en- enabler. I don't know. It was in my blood. and. The literature for me coming from that state of mind was sometimes a bit dangerous Hmm. because I didn't have the fellowship. The love and understanding for the alcoholic, in my mind, it was accepting more unacceptable behavior because Hmm. I need to be loving and understanding. Only through the fellowship, I learned the real meaning of understanding for the alcoholic. It took me about a year into the program, I, I went. I then went to meetings once a week. Every Sunday, I went to a meeting, and it suddenly dawned on me that I'm not here just because I was married to an alcoholic. This is a family disease, and I started to break through the denial and realize that it's it's in my family. It's everywhere. I'm interested. You said you tried it early. I think you said 2013, and it didn't work for you, but then four years later, you came back. And what was the difference? Do you know? Yeah. The first meeting was a German-speaking meeting. They are sometimes, they are a bit different than the international meetings. And yeah, and so I didn't really like it that much. I used to go sometimes with my ex-husband to the international AA meetings and I got a different spirit there. And so then I spent years feeling sorry for myself and complaining about the fact that there is no international unknown meeting here in my area and oh, poor me, poor me. I need to do it alone. And (laughs) I said, our marriage really was really bad and it got worse. And There was a big, major drama incident. He was in the States and his mother called me and told me that he's he's on his way back to Germany. And I knew, okay, he had another relapse. I all of a sudden had this reality check, whatever. And I knew I was pregnant. I was six months pregnant. And at that point, I knew this is not going to change anytime soon. There will not be this point where now everything's going to be just fine. And so that was the day where I decided that things are going to change. And that was the day when, looking back, I can say this was the first real act of self-love that I did, that happened in my life, really. Because I then decided, okay, he's not going to come back in the house. I'm going to a meeting. I looked up another meeting. I went to another meeting, a different meeting. And I went um, on the train with my other daughter, with my two-year-old daughter. I went to Munich in order to go to an international meeting. I was so desperate. Mm. I went there. And I knew a couple of people there from a convention. And I just went there because I was totally desperate, totally desperate. I knew something has to change. 
but I have no idea how I'm supposed to do this. No idea. Yeah. yeah. And so I went yeah. with my two-year-old. I went on the train and went to that international meeting. And then in the evening, went back to the hotel, lay in bed. My, my girl was sleeping and I was listening to one episode after the other of the recovery show. How did you find the show? I just, I found it on iTunes. Okay. I think I just looked for something, some podcast, Alanon or, yeah, I think I looked for Alanon and then it popped up. And yeah, had you listened to it before that day? No, 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 no. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yes. Glad we were there for you. Absolutely. And every day, really, every day I listened to one or or maybe two episodes, and it got me through those first days of, what's that word in English? Withdrawal. It took me through the days of withdrawal because I was addicted to enabling. Yeah, I understand and, that. Yeah. yeah, so that was my antidote. You talk about your first act of kindness to yourself. Can you identify now, looking back, ways in which you were unkind to yourself? Oh, it, these little things, the usual stuff, really. Accepting unacceptable behavior. Right. Saying yes when all my whole body screams no. And I stand and I say yes. And, and this is what I, I was talking about uh, before. The way I was talking to myself constantly was always, oh, what have you done? <sighs> you stupid. Why can't you? Oh, you should. All these things. I, this was normal to me. Totally normal. I have said all of those things. And I bet a large number of whoever is listening to this right now have said those things to themselves. I've heard so many people say, I would never talk to other people the way I talk to myself. Yeah. So part of learning to be gentle with myself is learning to treat myself the same way I treat the people I love, right? For me, it was very revealing because I started to, through Ananon really, and you know, we'll probably not be surprised to hear that I read all kinds of self-help books on parenting as well, but it helped me in a way because there were some books that were, that, that were resonating with the program too. So this whole thing of letting my children feel their emotions, mm -hmm. not telling my children, don't cry. Don't be scared. There's no need to be scared. Why are you scared? And stuff like that. I trained myself to not do that. Wow. And I even remember sometimes friends or family, they would say to my crying child, they would say, why are you crying? Look, there's no reason to cry. Obviously, the child has a reason, huh? Exactly. That's what <laughs> Ananon taught me. I said, the child is crying. So like you just said, obviously, there's a reason to cry. Through practicing this on my children, I caught myself more often not doing the same thing with myself. When I was sad, I started telling myself, oh, you're sad. That's, you know, like really maybe a bit stupid, but I did it and it helped. So I told myself, yeah, you're crying. That's okay. It's really sad. You can cry. It'll, you know, this too shall pass. <laughs> this really made me realize, 
only then I realized how harshly I had treated myself before. You write here, my fellows loved me until I could love myself. How did you experience that? That had an impact on me because it took me so long to get into the fellowship. And looking back, it warms my heart to, to realize how much the fellowship is a part of this program because they told me or I got the message to be kind to myself, that it's okay what I'm doing. It's okay to want to feel secure. It's okay to uh, take care of yourself. It's okay. You're allowed to do this. And I got this. Every week I got the message, but they did not tell me in my face. They shared about themselves. They shared about how they, I don't know, about their situations, about their loved ones, whatever. And by listening to them share about themselves, they taught me self-love or gentleness with myself. Yes. You heard probably examples of other people loving themselves, being gentle with themselves and said, oh, I could do that. Yes. And also it was the, the absence of judgment in the rooms because there's so much honesty in the rooms. And at the same time, no judgment. It's really important that there's no judgment. Then you can be really honest. But to me, this was new. This was this this no judgment. Hey, I in my family, there was judgment all the time. Everything was being commented on. And I did the same thing. I looked at people in the bus and I had opinions about them. (laughs) I didn't even I didn't even talk to them. Okay, I want to dig into that one a little bit because. I look at people on the bus and I have opinions about them. I think that happens. I I am not in complete control of what my brain comes up with. We were actually talking about this. I guess it was after the, the meeting I had this morning, we were talking and this idea of first thought wrong came up. This is something I've heard from at least an AA friend. I think his sponsor told him, your first thought is almost always wrong. And everybody said, yeah, absolutely. Like these thoughts come up, but I can choose what my second thought is. I can choose what I do with that thought. This is what I've learned. There was a time when whatever came up would probably be what came out of my mouth or what came out in my actions. And so by not judging myself because this thought came into my head, but by redirecting myself, That's a form also of gentleness. And I think it's a gentle way to probably, I'm sure it has significantly reduced the number of times that I have these judgmental thoughts come into my head because I can, we have, we have slogans like there, but for the grace of God goes me. I can look at somebody and say, whoa, and then I can say, that could be me. And that changes the whole perspective. Like that could be me if I was in a different life situation or that could be me. And this one comes to me. I'm getting towards my retirement age. I'm, I'm getting older. That happens. I'm glad to still be here. And I'll see somebody who is 
clearly older than me, maybe my parents' generation, kind of shuffling along. And my first thought is, can't you move faster? And my second thought is, that could be me in 10 or 20 years. Very probably will be me in 10 or 20 years. It changes the outlook. It changes the feeling that I have. But learning from example of not being judged and of not judging in the context of the rooms, then lets me bring it out into the rest of my life as well. And I have talked a number of times on the podcast about a particular person at work that I've had difficulties relating to, decided that I needed to work on that, my attitude. I needed to work on my attitude because I can change my attitude. I can't change that other person's actions or behavior or whatever, but I can change my attitude and what happened was that many of the things that this person did that annoyed me, I, I started to see them as positive. Oh, okay. He's doing this thing that is annoying, but he's doing it with a good intention and he's doing it to try to improve the way in which we work or whatever it is. And when I can change that attitude and it, and it just have to practice, practice acceptance, practice that annoyance thought comes into my head and like you do when you're meditating maybe right a thought mm -hmm. comes into your head and you just watch it mm -hmm. instead of engaging with it and by doing that i was able to to change the way in which i relate to and interact with this person and it's still a work in progress but is there yeah nice i like that you mentioned that when you have this first thought that you allow it to be and allow it to pass Because what I was also very good at a few years into the program was then judging myself for being so damn judgmental. <laughs> oh, oh, there you go again. Yes. Why are you judging this person again, you? And then it keeps yeah. going. So I was very good at yeah. that. Yeah. Another way that came up for me, I would be sitting in church and so there's a baby in the room and the baby's making some noises as babies do. Yes, they do. Our minister would so often, she would pause and say, oh, I love the sounds of life or something like that. And again, that just redirects the feeling. It's, oh, it's not that this baby is crying to annoy me or to put it in yes. an, an al context. It's not that my loved one is drinking at me. <laughs> um, yes. This is what babies do. This baby is alive. This baby is experiencing the world. And right now, this baby's a little unhappy. Maybe hungry. Maybe just did something in his diaper. Who knows? Okay. I don't have to take that as something directed at me and get all upset about it. And instead, I can love it and accept it for what it is. It's a total attitude shift. And, and all these things come together for me. Alanon, I think for me, is where a lot of that started. I remember, and I don't remember which episode it was, but it was an episode of the recovery show where you told a story about someone in family, they were sick and they had a cough and they kept coughing in the night and you got so annoyed by that cough. But then you remembered, okay, this person is suffering it's the, the the person is sick the person is coughing so it's not um directed at me like you just said yeah and 
it just to point out how fellowship works. I thought of that story so often when my kids were laying in bed coughing and I was so scared. I was always mm -hmm. scared that they will wake up and cry and then, oh, and then it's going to be a big drama and then, oh, and then they will cry for hours. And <laughs> it really helped me. That story helped me to just breathe and just, I don't know, stroke her head or whatever because she's sick and she's coughing. End of story. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's fellowship. So I want to circle back a little bit because yes, you took a train. I don't know how long this train was to to Munich to go to a meeting. It obviously was far enough away that then you stayed in a hotel that night before you went back home. I can't imagine that you did this every week. So no, did that one experience then change the way in which you were able to? engage with the meetings that you have locally or what? I was more in touch with a woman who was in that meeting mm. in Munich, but I also went to this other German speaking meeting in my area that I had never tried <sighs> because I was so bit feeling sorry for myself because that other meeting was not what I had expected <laughs> and I had never tried it. And then I was desperate enough that after that Munich meeting, I said, whatever, I'm just going to go. And I went there and they read the steps and they even read the traditions in German. It had the, the usual structure that, that we know. I just sat there and I thought to myself, I could have, of course, I thought I could have, I should have, but I could have, <laughs> but really I could have been here. Four yeah. years ago, yeah. but I wasn't, I was too busy complaining. So, yeah, but in the end, it's all fine. You know, it's just funny. It's just a funny story, really, because they were there all the time. <laughs> they were there all the time. And the meetings in my area were there all the time that I was saying, I don't need any of this 12-step crap. My loved one needs this shit and it's not me yes. and I'm not going to do it. Shut up about Al-Anon. Can I ask you something? <laughs> yeah. Can I ask you something? Your wife was in recovery before you went to Al-Anon? No, she was in treatment many times okay. before she found wow. sobriety for long-term sobriety. I don't know, mm. but yeah. So she started admitting that she was an alcoholic and started seeking recovery before I came to Al-Anon. And that's where I heard about Al-Anon was in her recovery meetings that they had for friends and family. But I was like... Mm -hmm. That's not me. She needs something. Oh, of course. But yeah, I just, I got to that point. I got to that point where I realized I wasn't going to fix this mm -hmm. and I needed to do something for myself. And the only thing that I thought could possibly, what can it hurt to go to a meeting? Right. What can it hurt? But isn't it, isn't it nice how really, and I don't know if this is true for everybody, but somehow I think maybe it is. That going to that first meeting, it is really an act of self-care. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know that I saw it that way. It was more an act of desperation, but... Yeah, yeah. Same with <laughs> me. It, it's, wow, I did something for myself. So it all starts with self-love. It does. It does. The other thing that came to my head when you said, oh, I went and tried this other meeting that had always been there, but I just didn't go, is that often 
when we have a newcomer at a meeting, we recommend that they try several different meetings, which we have the, the, the luxury of having at least one meeting every day, I think, in my area, and sometimes more than one meeting in a day. So it is possible to try several different meetings. And of course, right now with the Zoom, you can try all kinds of meetings all over the world. But the meeting that somebody comes into for the first time might not be the meeting that is is best for them at that point, actually. And that's what your story says to me. Absolutely. It reminds me to, that when I'm welcoming a newcomer, if I'm the person who is welcoming the newcomer into the meeting to say, and please try some other meetings. This one yes. might not be the meeting that, that you really connect with, but there is one out there for you, I'm sure. Wow, yes. that was a lot. Okay, where do you want to go next? I think I've, I want to tell my Christmas story. <laughs> I call this a spiritual awakening because it felt like one. It had to do with my children, of course, me being a mother. And it has to do with self-love and compassion. And it, like I said, especially gentleness with myself. In Germany, Christmas Day is the big celebration day. We were at my sister's house and my two little daughters, they decided to sleep over at my sister's house. And I went back home and spent the rest of the evening at home by myself, Really, I, which I really liked. I meditated and I read and I did all kinds of stuff that I don't get to do very often. And the next morning I got up and I had this wonderful quiet morning. And then about noontime, I guess, my sister brought my kids back to my house. And then they were back at my house and it was the usual mother kids stuff going on. It was loud. They were playing. They were fighting. They were a mama, mama all the time. And I became more and more, let's say, in a bad mood. I realized that and I was so annoyed by, by my daughters and I was about to lose my patience and yell at my daughter. And really, I do sometimes yell at my kids because when I'm overwhelmed and everything, you know, it, it happens. Yeah. But in this moment... This was really a Christmas gift for me. In this moment, I didn't yell. I took a breath. I went into another room and I asked myself, okay, Anna, what's up with you? I don't want to say what's wrong with you. I want to say what's up with you. And I just sat down and I just analyzed myself for a few minutes and I realized that I asked myself, because my sponsor then always told me, what do you need? Ask yourself, what do you need? And so I did that. And I said, okay, what do I need? I don't know what I need. I know what I want. I want to read my book in peace and quiet and just sit there for hours and read my book. And that's what I want. And I can't do it because the kids are here and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then I had to go back behind that thought and realize I feel guilty for having that, for wanting that. 
for wanting to read because the, the voice in my head said, you're such a bad mother. Look at you. Your kids, they weren't here yesterday. You had all, last night you had all to yourself. You could read and now they're back and you still want to read? Oh, you bad mother. That's that old voice, isn't it? Yes. And I sat there and I thought, oh my God, that's the voice I want to yell at. That's the voice I want to yell at. I don't want to yell at my daughter. I want to yell at that voice to shut up. I don't want to hear this. And so I sat in my higher power chair. I call it my higher power chair. (laughs) I sat there and I realized, oh my God, I just need to tell myself now that it's okay. It's okay to want that. I'm not a bad mother for wanting to read a book, even even though I had an, an evening to myself. It's not a terrible thing to want. It's not a terrible desire to have. And then I got up and I couldn't read my book. I couldn't read my book, but it was okay. I cannot explain it. It was really, nothing had really changed. The kids were still loud. I still couldn't read my book. But the fact that I had allowed myself to not like the situation was all I needed. It was all I needed. And then another thing came to my mind, and that's the removal of character defects. Mm-hmm. And I think I heard this somewhere. Maybe even I, I may even have heard it in, in, in one of your episodes that it doesn't say whatever, make them go away or evaporate them into thin air. It says re move my character defects. And so I realized, okay, with the help of my higher power, I can at least, it, it, it becomes removed. It's still there, but it's now removed. It's being removed. It's in a different spot now. And so my anger can really be, when I get angry, I can really just use it and see my higher power waving a flag And telling myself, Anna, why don't you take this opportunity and be really kind to yourself right now? So that's how I can handle my anger now. Because I can feel it coming. I can feel it coming. And then I know, okay, there's some thought in my head that went the wrong way. And I just need to find it now. I need to sit down and find that thought. And sometimes I succeed. And then my kids get lucky. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if I'd call it lucky. I think I'd call it something more than that. But it's a wonderful story. You sat down and you said, why am I angry? And you didn't just stop with that. You took it another level. I'm angry because I want to read my book and the kids won't let me. No, that's actually not it. I'm angry at the voice in my head that's telling me I'm a bad mother because I want to read my book when I need to be with my children. That, to me, is a really beautiful example of how, when we do our inventory work in recovery, why sometimes we do it more than once. Because in the re-inventory, we could get, I could get, I have gotten 
a little deeper, a little closer to what's really happening. And to be able to do that in the moment like that is a great piece of recovery work. There's a fly here. Can you hear it in my room? No, not hearing it. It's bugging you, I'm sure. No, not anymore. Oh, not hey. anymore. Yeah, I have a thing with flies now. I, I was doing a 20-minute sit meditation. Mm. My kids weren't there. So I thought, okay, this is going to be perfect. I'm not going to be disturbed. And so it's going to be perfect this time. And I'm go- finally going to have my 20-minute perfect sit. And And there was this fly in the room. And I started meditating and I heard this noise and I thought, oh my God, now there's the fly in the room. I'm trying to meditate here and this is this supposed to be the perfect sit. So why is this fly in the room? And yeah, I then changed my attitude to, okay, this is part of the meditation now. The fly is here with me and we are doing this together now. And so then the fly, he sat on my face and took a walk on my face and everything. And I was so tempted to just react somehow, but I, I didn't. I managed to not react. And so ever since then, I'm like, you know, because the thing was, had I known this fly is in the room, I would have gotten rid of the fly, I'm pretty sure. And I would have probably killed the fly. Yeah. And then... I still remember this meditation with the fly because it was really interesting for me to feel. It was really amazing, really, to feel the little legs of the fly on my skin. My eyes were closed and I knew exactly where that fly was. It's so little. And I was amazed. I thought, wow, the skin is really, what a concept this body is. And so this whole thing was interesting for me because it's, you never know. You never know why something is the way it is. And sometimes you think you need to remove something or you need to make something perfect. But really, if you just not mess with it, you will have wonderful experience. So that's why flies don't bother me anymore. They don't. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. Honestly, there is some kindness there in the acceptance. In the, I'm trying to put this in a positive, I was going to say, that you didn't let yourself get worked up about the fly, but it it sounded like it was more positive than that, that was really a gentle acceptance of this is what is right now. And I don't need to get annoyed, get excited. Yeah. I love that story. I'm not sure I could do it. (laughs) By the grace of God. And it reminded me of my kids too. It's all like, this is all in all our affairs. Really, it works all the time because the kids are taking a walk on my inner skin or on my, on my buttons. They're taking a walk on those buttons. And I can either freak out and, and try to wave them away and just wah and be all pissed off. Or I can accept. That this is what flies do and this is what kids do. And so we're yeah. in this together. Yeah. And- so you talked in your letter about step zero. And I'd like you to, to talk a little bit about what you mean by that. It's basically in that Christmas story. Because for me, it's if I am being kind and gentle with myself. First of all, it's much more easy for me to work whatever step I'm trying to work. And 
Yeah, just like in that Christmas story example, it was so interesting for me to see that the harshness with myself opens the door for so many unhealthy reactions or care defects come through. And I can also not really access my higher power when I am being harsh with myself. Okay. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I just, when I think about step zero, I'm like, if I'm taking the steps in order, how am I going to start with that? That is not where I was when I came to this program. I came to this program and my life is a mess and I can't do anything about it, which is the, the capturing step one there. But what you're saying, I think, is when I am gentle with myself, when I am kind to myself, then I can engage more deeply, more fully with my recovery. Absolutely. That makes sense. But also what we just talked about, it, it really starts with that first act of kindness towards myself. Because I would not work the steps if there, I, I don't do it consciously, or I at least didn't do it consciously. I didn't say, okay, oh, I love myself so much. So that's why I want to work the steps. It was more than like a little flame that my higher power held for me in the beginning of self-love that I was not aware of, but I, I think I would probably die without it. I wouldn't have started working the steps if it wasn't for self-love. Even, like I said, even if it was not on a conscious level. Okay. Yeah, I get that. That's cool. So you also picked out as a reading the St. Francis Prayer. Maybe you could share with us what that means to you. Yes, I have a very special relationship with the St. Francis Prayer. I used to, let's say, not like it very much. And now I love it so much. Should I read it? Sure. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born into eternal life. So I have mentioned before that I tried the program in the beginning all by myself, and I didn't have the benefit of the fellowship, yeah. or I didn't give it to myself, the benefit of the fellowship. So when I read this prayer, it was not good for me. Because it says, it, it basically told me, oh, Anna, you can save your husband. When, where there is hatred in him, sow your love into him. Where there is injury in him, you can fix this. You can fix this. You can fix this. You just need to be an angel and just loving. And this was how I read it. And this was how I was, really. I love it now. I had a boyfriend in 2020 in a breakup, and I was really brokenhearted and everything. And through this breakup, 
that I handled with the tools of the program for the first time in my life at 39 years. <laughs> but hey, better late than never. So through that breakup, I often thought of self-love. And I read the St. Francis prayer when I was really brokenhearted. And I stopped and it hit me. And I thought, oh my God, I can use this for myself. Where there is hatred in me, I can sow love in me. And where there's injury in me, with the help of my higher power, I can pardon the injury with the help of my higher power. So I can be good to myself. And then especially the part where it says, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. It was so important for me to learn that or to be not to be loved, but to love myself. I don't need to go out and look for someone that will love me because no one can do that for me. No man, no woman, no one can do that for me. And so to be consoled, I was looking to be consoled. <laughs> But I was finally consoled when I consoled myself with the help of my higher power. So now this St. Francis prayer to me is really one of my favorite pieces of the literature because when I do this first, when I do this first with my higher power and love myself first and not look on the outside for all this being consoled, being loved, being understood, First, give it to myself. And then when I do that, I can give it back tenfold. Then I can go out there and my cup is full and then I can pass it on or then I can give it to other people. But I, I couldn't really, I couldn't really give it to other people before my own cup was filled with the help of my higher power. That's why the St. Francis prayer means a lot to me. I love that. I'm trying to think of the word here. I don't want to say interpretation. I love that re-understanding of the prayer in terms of not looking outward, not looking to other people for these things, looking to yourself and your higher power for these things. I, I had never thought about it in that way. So thank you for that. Thank you, Anna. You're welcome. I had never thought of it before either until, until that day. And now when I read it, there is no, this is clear to me that this is what it says to me, at least to me. Yeah. I think that's a perfect stopping point. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery is working in our daily lives. I asked you to pick some music. What is the first one that you picked? Yes, I picked my number one recovery song, Everything, by Alanis Morissette. I think she has quite a few recovery songs, but this is my absolute favorite number one higher power song. That's about accepting yourself with the help of your higher power. And she says, you see everything, you see every part. You see all my light and you love my dark. You dig everything of which I'm ashamed. 
There's not anything to which you can't relate. And you're still here. When I first heard this, this was to me, this was never a love song like a usual love song. I heard this and it was absolutely clear that this is a higher power thing here going on. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. How have we experienced recovery recently? And I'll go ahead and talk because you've been talking a lot. My meeting this morning, we had a person who was new to Elanon, so we say a newcomer. When that happens in this meeting, we always do step one. We do a first step. And this meeting, we're on Zoom. We're still on Zoom. The place where we had been meeting in person is still not ready to welcome us back. Well, they closed down for COVID and then... When they were maybe ready to open back up, they discovered mold in the room that we meet in. And so they're having to do work to remove this mold. And it sounds like it's going to be a pretty big job. And we also have members of the meeting who personally aren't ready to come back to in-person yet. So we're on Zoom. We typically split into two Zoom rooms. The other room was working on step five. This is a step meeting, so we rotate through the steps. I chose the step one group, which is what I usually do when we're having a first step because I always need to go back to the first step and I hope that I have something to share that maybe speaks to the person who's new. And it may or may not. And I never know. Sometimes I know. Sometimes they tell me, oh yes, that that really spoke to me. And and sometimes they don't. And it doesn't really matter because that's not why I'm there. We had a few people who stayed after the meeting, after the meeting as we call it. And that's where we had that, that conversation about first thought wrong and how we now have the opportunity to do something different than what we would have done, what I would have done in the past, which was probably to act on that first wrong thought. There's, for me, a whole bunch of my recovery packed up in that about how all of the steps can sometimes work in me in a moment of acceptance of the situation, step one, understanding they don't have to do it alone, steps two and three, what's actually going on here, step four, admitting that to myself at least, maybe step five, and and then asking, so it gets me at least through step seven. And if I actually acted out on that first thought, I may need to go into to steps eight, understanding if I harm somebody who I might have harmed and then making amends for that. This is something that I, through repetition, because my higher power gives me plenty of opportunities to to do it. Yes, those character defects are not all gone yet, are they? <laughs> so through repetition, I get lots of practice, and sometimes I can do it in the moment, and sometimes it takes a little longer, let's say. We were going to have a dinner with some friends this weekend, and one of them teaches in the high school where they've been having some outbreaks of COVID. And in fact, he thought the school might be closed on on Monday, partly because of that, and suggested that this might not be the safest time for all of us who are getting up there in age and thus maybe not at 100% in our immune system, even though we have been vaccinated, that it might not be the best thing for us to, to get together this weekend. And I was able to you know, use my program to say, yeah, 
That sounds about right. Even though I was looking forward to this getting together, we will do it another time. There's been obviously a, a lot of that sort of thing happening over the last couple of years. We think maybe it's over and then it's not. And and yes, it gets tired. Yes, I'm annoyed. Yes, I wish it was over. How long did I live with active alcoholism? How long was I isolating myself because of shame about what was happening in my family? A lot longer, actually. And so those same tools that gave me serenity, gave me life back, gave me moments of happiness and joy, while the active alcoholism was still there, I can use those same tools now. When I started working from home a year and a half ago, I started taking longer walks with my dog, partly because I had the time, partly because I was replacing the exercise that I got walking to work and like learned whole new neighborhoods that I had never been in before because I had to make a change because of the world. And I have gratitude for that, that I've walked through and seen close up these places that I might have just driven past or maybe not even ever gone to. I think in the in this theme of being gentle with myself that learning new ways to be in the world as it is now rather than being mad that it's not like it was is a real gift. Yeah, I think I'll stop there. Nice. I want to start with the post office I went to because it made me laugh because it was exactly, it was a total being gentle with myself thing. I went to the post office and the lady there, she told me, oh, this envelope is too big for the postage you put on there. You have to go back and put a new postage on there. And I stood there and I was totally shocked. How could she? And I told her, but I measured it. I measured it at home. But she was standing there showing me that it won't fit in there. And I didn't say anything. Thank God I didn't say anything, but I was steaming. And I took the envelope from her and I, I walked out and I was all angry. And I thought, oh, she's stupid. And what, why did she do this? And I was, I was such an asshole, really. In my, I mean, I'm, you know, thank God I didn't really say it. And I stepped out. And I just, it, it was so funny because I thought, yes, Anansi. And it's the same thing with the Christmas story. Because I actually think, oh, Anna, you are so stupid. This is embarrassing. What did you do? You, you put the wrong postage on this envelope. Oh, embarrassing, stupid. And so I smiled and I said, okay, Anna, you made a little mistake. Now you're going to go back and put a different stamp on this thing. And that's it. Right. And But it was the same thing. I was about to get angry with her, but I was actually just judging myself. And I had to just take that thought away and turn it around and then it's fine. Balance is a big thing for me, always in the program. With the the fine lines of the program, this is actually a topic that I will probably suggest it as a topic for for a new episode (laughs) because I keep thinking of it. Anyway. I, I always try to keep the balance between being by myself and having me time, healthy me time, and not flipping into isolation too much. And so I 
sometimes force myself to meet friends and stuff like that. And I got together with a friend and we talked about being a mother and stuff like that and how we try to do things better. And she told me, she said a nice thing to me. She said, we do a little bit, but that's enough. It's enough. And then that same night, I went to a meeting, a Zoom meeting, and we were talking about the three C's. I didn't cause it, I can't control it, and I can't cure it. And I sat there and I thought, yes, exactly. And the speaker also talked about how it's a multi-generational disease. And I realized, oh, wow, yeah, yeah. I thought I knew everything about the three C's, but I still think I can cure the whole family disease in my children. Mm. I think I can do everything right so that it, they won't be affected anymore. And I thought of the friend that had told me it's enough. We do a little bit and that's enough. And I thought, yes, exactly. I can't cure it. So I do what I do. I, I, I do the things that I can change. And then I let it go. And my daughters, they will have own path. They will, they will keep working on this probably. Yeah. I, I will not stop the multi-generational disease of alcoholism. I, I don't have the power. I can only do what I can do. Yeah. So true. So true. So I'm looking ahead on the podcast and uh, a topic that has been suggested, and I think Eric and I will probably do this, uh, is about motives. The first time that I remember... It's probably not the first time it happened, but the first time that I remember I was asking an Ellen friend about something I was thinking of doing. I was like, I'm thinking of doing this thing. What do you think? And she used her program perfectly because she said, what is your motive in wanting to do this? She didn't say, I think you should do this. She said, what is your motive? The kind of things that sponsors sometimes say. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. I had to stop. Why did I want to do this thing? Was it? Because I wanted to make myself feel better about something that was happening? Or was it, you know, it involved another person? Was it because I really had healthy motives in wanting to support this other person and something that was happening to them? And I think I concluded that I wanted to do it because I thought it would make me feel better. And so I didn't do it. So now that I try to... It's already a bad thing, though. No, it was. It, it probably would have been not a good thing to have gone ahead with what I was thinking about. So I, I try to remember to ask myself when I'm not sure about something, when I'm not, I've got an idea or a plan. And if I can remember to stop and ask myself, now, what is my motive in doing this? That can help me not go down a path that I will regret, let's say. I won't say bad or whatever, but that's what I would have said in the past. Yes. So, looking for nice. your thoughts, join our conversation about motives, leave a voicemail or send us an email. And before I ask you to read the next bit, I just want to say, always when I have a, an international person, somebody who's not in the U.S. on the show, I'm like, this is such a U.S.-centric phone number. Yes, it is. <laughs> if you want to stick a German prefix on the front of that, please do. Yeah. So, Anna, how can people... Send us feedback. How can they share in our conversation? Yes, you can call and leave us a voicemail at plus one seven three four seven zero seven eight seven nine five. If you call from outside of the United States, 
Call right now to plus one seven three four seven oh seven eight seven nine five. You can use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. You can also send a voice memo or email to feedback at therecovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of gentleness with oneself or any of our upcoming topics, including motives. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. Like Anna did. Like, yes, exactly, <laughs> like I did. If you would like advance notice for some of our topics so that you can contribute to that topic, you can sign up for our mailing list by sending an email to feedback at therecovery.show. Put email in the subject line to make it easier to spot. And our website, therecovery.show, which you've probably heard of enough times recently, has all the information about the show, which includes notes for each episode. This episode will be at therecovery.show slash 370. That's 370. We will have uh, links to the readings where you can, you know, buy that just for tonight bookmark, other thing, other books that we might have mentioned, videos for the music. And there are also some links to other recovery podcasts and websites also. Although there are so many these days, I, I really don't have all of them. That would be quite a task. What is your second song? My second song is a song by a singer. Her name, I hope I pronounce it correctly, is Natam Kor. She does this chants and meditative music. And I listen to that song and it includes the St. Francis prayer. And that's why I put it on the list. The song is called Servant of Peace. Okay. Yeah, I, I was listening to these last night and that definitely just, it's not exactly background. What am I trying to say here? It's, it sets a, a tone, it sets a mood, it sets a, a mindfulness sort of mood for me, was, is what I want to say. I dug into my inbox and found some stuff from a couple of months ago that somehow I have missed. So here we go with that and some more recent feedback. CC wrote, Hi, Spencer and Eric. I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. For me, the 12 steps of AA apply to me in Al-Anon because my addiction is relationships. I believe replacing alcohol with relationships throughout the steps brings me the same relief as an alcoholic. I may not have a genetic predisposition or an allergy to alcohol like an alcoholic, but being raised in an alcoholic home predisposed me to the same dysfunction. My relationships got crazier and crazier. It wasn't broken bottles around me. It was broken people, and I was one of them. Those coins you spoke of at the beginning of the show are the same coins I use in Al-Anon. Powerlessness, hope, strength, fearlessness, humility, forgiveness, etc., for me, the AA books are the al books. Thank you for sharing your experience, strength, and hope on your shows. CC from Seattle. Thanks, CC, for writing. I think some people would take that as a relatively controversial statement, but I definitely have learned quite a bit from reading the AA literature as well as the al literature, and that is my personal experience. Laura left us a review in Apple Podcasts, five stars titled Medicine for My Soul. I've been attending Al-Anon for four months now. 
With three qualifiers in my life, I did not know how much I needed the program and this podcast. I listen to your podcast most every morning, along with time in my Bible and in Al-Anon daily readings. My word for 2021 is peaceful, and this podcast gives me a peaceful start to my day. Thank you for your service. P.S. I'm in West Michigan, so hello to my Ann Arbor friends. Hello back. She signs it, Peaceful Laura. Thank you, Peaceful Laura. Allison left us a voicemail. Hi, my name's Allison, and I have been listening to The Recovery Show for a few years, and I always hear questions listening to the back catalog and more recent episodes about parenting a young child or parenting as the sober parent, and, and there have been some great episodes on that topic, but I wanted to share a little bit about my own experience because in the past few weeks or months or so, I've realized that I've sort of synthesize some learnings around parenting a young child. And I am going to break them into three pieces because I like lists. So the first thing is that I have realized that the very most important thing I can do to keep my kids safe as the sober parent and not call home is to have really good self-care. For me, self-care looks like eating right, sleeping, exercising, yeah, taking time for myself, Al-Anon, therapy, and that I need to actually put those ahead of my child, which is hard to do sometimes, but but really prioritizing. If I can't take care of myself, then I can't take care of someone else. The second thing that has become really critical is appropriate use of boundaries. I set some boundaries early on that didn't serve any of us. I was unclear about how to keep my kids safe and used boundaries to punish my husband in some ways. One of my more comedic boundaries looking back was I had a boundary at one point that said, if you drink again, we're getting a divorce. And I can laugh about it now, but at the time it felt very serious. And maybe two weeks afterwards, I had this sort of panic of, I just gave all of the power in my marriage to a disease. And so we quickly re renegotiated that boundary and figured out some better things that work for us. An example of a boundary that has been recent to my husband that you may no longer drive our child until you have a breathalyzer device installed on your car, which has been really positive. It keeps our kids safe, keeps me out of the, I don't have to do anything with that, but ultimately it's keeping our child safe. The third piece for me has been reaching out and asking for help. It's isolating to be the parent of a young child, period, right? Add on a pandemic and an alcoholic and it can be very isolating to be the parent of a young child in a pandemic with an alcoholic partner. And I, when I'm overwhelmed and stressed, I don't share it out. I tuck in and keep care of the things I need to keep care of. And I have had to get better about reaching out and asking for help. For me, I ask for help from my family in terms of care for my child, safe care for my child so that I can do the things I need to do. I've had to do a little bit of negotiations with work and child care. For example, this morning, I went into work late so that I could go for a run and have a little bit of time to do some step work this morning. The final thing is reaching out um, for help for my child. I have therapist and an Al-Anon and sponsor, but I finally reached out to my child's school and let his principal and his teacher know what what is going on at home for us so that they can keep an eye on him and be another set of eyes. If his behavior is changing in any way or there's things something concerning that they can let me know. 
And I asked for a referral to the school counselor. And it's pandemic time, so this counselor hasn't seen my child yet because of Zoom and the fact that he's small. But I've had a chance to meet with the school counselor and have found that a really positive experience to get a little support for myself. So I hope that those things are helpful to someone else who might be somewhere along this journey. And I am grateful to The Recovery Show and everyone for their contributions always. Thank you. Thank you, Allison, for sharing your experience as a parent. And I'm sure that will be relatable, at least if not valuable to others. Anne wrote, Good morning, Spencer. First of all, thank you so very much for your service. I was introduced to The Recovery Show by my sponsor and listen when I drive. It has helped me tremendously. My qualifier is my 30-year-old son who is addicted and mentally ill. He is currently living with my husband and I and refuses all treatments despite a court order. When I listened to episode 368 yesterday, a possible future topic was mental illness and substance abuse. I need to hear that. Prior to COVID, I did attend NAMI meetings, and NAMI, N-A-M-I, is the National Alliance for Mental Illness, but was not finding the right fit for me. Then COVID hit. I feel I have a relatively good handle on the substance abuse side of the fence, but need more of the mental health side of the fence. Anne asks when that topic will be covered, and the answer, Anne, unfortunately, is it will be covered when somebody wants to share their experience, strength, and hope around this topic. I can share from the perspective of somebody who has a loved one who was suffering from alcoholism and depression, which is a form of mental illness, but it sounds like that's not what you're talking about. So if you're listening, if you would like to share your story of your recovery from being affected by somebody else's addiction or alcoholism and mental illness, please write and let's set up a time to record an episode. Kristen left us a voicemail. Hi, Spencer. My name is Kristen. This is my first time calling in, and I'm also fairly new to the program. I just went to my first meeting in January. I just listened to episode 332 on steps one, two, and three. And I just wanted to say, that every time I go searching for an episode, and when I say searching, I don't mean that I search for a specific topic or a specific episode. I literally just scroll through in no particular order and find something that speaks to me. And this episode was super timely because I am currently going through step three with my sponsor. Something you said in the episode, I just wanted to say thank you so much for what you do because Something you said really put me at ease because I have a big problem with control. What a shock. I find myself trying to control my program as well and how well I work the program. And so I was really struggling with that here recently because I was telling myself, I'm not doing it fast enough. I'm not doing it the right way. I haven't been able to go to meetings lately because of just life things and kids and work and all the things. And so I was just really beating myself up. And something that you said when you said, you know, fake it till you make it or or that that was something that your sponsor had said and, and that it says in step three that we made the decision. And so that really spoke to me because it reminded me to give myself the small victories in this program that 
A, I'm not where I used to be. I may be still new to the program and I haven't gone through all the steps. So I can already tell a huge difference in my level of peace, in my level of reaction to things. And so I need to give myself that victory. And two, that I've made the decision to work this program and I've made the decision to go through the steps and to whether I am consistently going to meetings, you know, right now or not because of life, I am making the decision to still work my program deeply and I'm making the decision to work the program in every part of my life and not just with the alcoholic in my life. So I just wanted to say thank you for that, whether that's how you meant it or not. I know the episode it speaks to everybody in different ways, but it really spoke to me. Thank you, Kristen, for your sharing. When you talk about beating yourself up, hopefully what Anna and I talked about in this episode will be helpful. Peyton wrote, Hey, Spencer, hope this finds you well. I love your show, and I listen often. One of the ways I am able to utilize your show as a recovery tool is by searching up a topic I am struggling with. This never fails to be helpful. Usually, I get several options when I look for things like courage or fear or anxiety. I've been curious about what the word commitment means to other people in recovery and tried to search for it, but I couldn't find anything on it. I would be really curious to hear some thoughts about it. It might be interesting. Thanks for all that you do, Spencer. Be well. Peyton. I wrote back to Peyton. I said, yeah, it seems we don't have an episode where commitment is the topic of the episode. If I search for the word commitment at the recovery.show on the website, there are some episodes that show up. So at least that word appears in the notes for those episodes, which suggests that we did talk about it to some extent. For me, commitment definitely overlaps with a, a, at least a couple other concepts. One is trustworthiness, which is episode 228 and also 281. I feel that one of the ways in which I demonstrate I'm trustworthy is by meeting my commitments. And another topic is boundaries, and specifically boundaries on myself, and there are a bunch of episodes on boundaries. And the way that applies here is that I had to learn to set boundaries on the commitments I made so that I could actually meet those commitments. Because if I overcommitted, and I swear I talked about that in a recent episode, so maybe go back an episode or two and you'll probably hear something about it. But if I overcommit, then I can't actually do what I need to do to meet those commitments. And so learning to set that boundary is really important for me. Sue left us a voicemail. Hi, Spencer. This is Sue. Just so grateful for all that you do. It's been so many years that I have looked forward to updated new uploads that you do, and also just going back through the hundreds of archives that you have. It has brought me such peace and joy and calm and just really helped me weather the storms and not only working the Al-Anon steps and the beauty of that, but just having this as a 24-7-365 resource has really been a lifesaver for me. Often I think and I really praise you for sharing your personal story and journey and just inspiring us that it's truly a journey. It's one that doesn't have quite a start or a finish, but one that we're continually on. And you really 
bring home that we're all in it together. You're not alone. Keep coming back in the program work if you work it and you're worth it. And also, like a sweet note, your voice and just your message and your partners and the people that you bring in just really bring me serenity. And I hope you take it as an absolute compliment. When I can't sleep, I'll put a podcast on and I drift off to sleep. And I mean that as a compliment because it soothes my mind. It brings me back to the program. And if serenity to me is a definition of falling asleep to some of your um, podcasts, I certainly hope you see that only as a compliment because at night when the mind goes crazy, I always turn to the recovery show. Again, just really wanted to give heartfelt gratitude and thank you and really cheering everyone on. We're all in it together and it just helps to never feel alone. So thank you and I continue to support you and everyone that helps you with the program. Take good care and take good care of yourself. Good night now and goodbye. I think somebody else wrote recently about whatever they said to my soothing voice or something and and helping them to go to sleep. And I do take that as a compliment if what you hear when you listen to the show helps to calm your mind so that you can sleep. Because I remember when I was pre-recovery and new in recovery, it was hard to sleep sometimes because of all the things that were going in my head. So if I can help you to find a little bit of serenity and get some sleep, I'm grateful for that. Thanks for calling. Sue also sent us an email. She says, hello, Spencer. Sue here. I just left you a voice message of gratitude. Doing that also gave me the thought of a topic that might be new as I've spent the last decade in Al-Anon and what a tremendous gift it's been from God. One area that has been tough for me continually is how to keep programming you need to protect your children. I'm happy to help join on the topic as I've spent the last 12 years sitting on what feels like two sides of a fence, keeping my self-care and love while working the steps, keeping grace and serenity at the forefront. Yet I could not let go and let God while I was confronted with him picking up our daughter's drunk from sport practices for just one example, or getting fearful messages from my daughter's while he had them away without me at our weekend house two hours away. Boundaries were set, and there was always a bag packed in the car that if he would not leave, I would, if the house felt unsafe with his drinking. Luckily, at younger ages, I called it free hotel rooms mom got from project work, and they'd get to swim in pools and get free room service. As they aged, they picked up on it, as children do. They're 15 and 16 now, and four years ago, we had an open conversation about the disease of alcoholism at the table with him, age appropriate. Three years ago, I set the boundary and bought a new house that he would not be able to live in until he went to rehab. He lived in the existing house until it sold, and indeed checked inpatient for detox once that house sold. Then he quickly figured out the timing and how to clear his system before the next test. I filed for divorce in 2015 after discovering infidelity for the prior four years, starting from when I was recovering from breast cancer. At that point, he had a full heart turnaround and we tried to start over, but there was continued infidelity that kept getting uncovered, which was the grounds for the current divorce. For me, the disease was what I 
prepared with Al-Anon to keep my marriage, whether he was actively drinking or not. But cheating, no. But back to the topic, how to follow a program when you must protect your children. Easy does it, and one day at a time caused them much childhood trauma. Luckily, both are all the more strong, and it created such open dialogue that as teens, I see it has strangely helped them to make wise choices already. Gotta love my higher power. I wonder how long your journey has been, and not sure if you had those years to recall when your children were young. But if you feel worthy of it being a topic to add to your lineup, I'm happy to help. Regardless, my God is telling me to go back and add to my personal inventory of what I've missed. Now I can look back. Much gratitude to you and all your service, Sue. I've had some guests recently that have talked about dealing with keeping their kids safe uh, in in active alcoholism. And I know I've mentioned it a, a couple times recently as well. But still, it is a good topic and always worth another visit. Somebody wants to guest host and talk about it. Kathy left us a voicemail of thanks. Hi, I'm Kathy from Santa Barbara. Wow. Enjoyed your podcast so much today with Andrea and her new podcast for ACA. Definitely going to look that one up. But thank you. That was right on for me. Exactly. As usual. Thanks for all your service. Hope this attracts many more fellow travelers. Many blessings. And thank you, Kathy, for those kind words. Joanne wrote, It's always a shocker when something resounds with you with going force, isn't it? I've never been in an al program, but I've worked with a gifted counselor in recovery from codependency and hypervigilance with panic attacks. The aha moment is like a rebirth, because when you finally see your truth, you can't unsee it, thank goodness. It is that slippery slope of the four M's that will be my kryptonite. When fear of people and events that are out of control with threats of great harm or loss presses me towards those behaviors, I can now stop or at least apply brakes long enough to recall that I am not boss or savior of the world. That job is already taken. I no longer have great shame about not knowing healthy behaviors earlier, but feel profound relief and gratitude that my own disorder, codependency, has been diagnosed so that I can better recognize when I'm defaulting to the faulty four M's. Thank you for sharing these episodes. I will always be a recovering codependent, but I'm a good company among you folks. Blessings for your days. And thanks, Joanne. The four M's that she refers to are manipulation, managing, mothering, and martyrdom. And we talked about that in episode 84 and have probably referred to it since, and I know I've gotten some other emails about it. But if you want to hear one take on the four M's and we might actually talk where in the literature those character defects or whatever appears and don't see it in the notes. So episode 84 for the four M's. Again, thank you, Joanne, for writing. Alina Left shares about living with lies and about the four L's. Hi, it's Alina. I just wanted to share on episode number 132, which was entitled Living with Lies. This was a really good topic because I've always struggled with when I'm lied to or someone's being dishonest with me, I take it personal. I guess growing up as a daughter of an alcoholic, there was always some sort of lies going on or, you know, covering up for him and not on my part, but maybe my mother or my family's part just to make him look good in my eyes. 
just saying he loves you so much, which I'm sure he did. And he's not bad at you or they would make all these like excuses for him and not really addressing what I could see was happening as a young girl. It was almost like they didn't want to talk about it. It's if I, we don't talk about it, then it's not real. I guess I always figured my father that was an alcoholic and also filling my head with lies and the other that he's going to stop or that he's this or that was always hurtful. And as an adult, having to struggle with these things has been really hard. I'm grateful for the al program because it's taught me so much. And even though like my dad wasn't the reason what brought me into the program, even though he's not here anymore, it's helped me to forgive him. And I know that in that aspect, it's helped relieve a lot of like pressure on my part as far as what was my role, what was my fault, what was not my fault growing up and accepting that alcoholism is a disease. You know, I'm extremely grateful for the program for that. As far as my qualifiers, I have caught them in lies and maybe they don't seem like big lies. Some of them were, but there's also a lot of little lies. For me, I guess it's the disrespect and not being able to trust them that hurts. Whether it's a big lie or a little lie, it's just the fact that it was a lie to me that hurts. I don't understand why honesty is so hard for them. That's not for me to figure out anymore. I used to try and struggle with it and wonder like, why am I being so honest with them if they can't give it back to me? But even now, whenever one of my qualifiers has a relapse, he ex- he really does tend to lie to a certain point just because he doesn't want me to know that he's relapsed. So He'll lie about where he is, what he's doing, what's going on. In a way, you know, I think about it and maybe it's in a way for me not to be hurt right away, but definitely for him not to be caught. But then once it's found after that, I don't know what it is, but he is open and honest. And even though he's using, he will, if anything I ask him or anything he tells me is pretty much going to be like the truth plus more. And that tends to stress me out a little bit, not as much as it used to. I don't know why that is. I don't know if he feels like now that she knows it doesn't matter and I can just tell her whatever. But as far as my other qualifier that's still active, I think he keeps things from me. And so that to me is like dishonest. And I've learned to accept that with Al-Anon. I don't know why he does it. Maybe just so that I don't have a reaction and he doesn't want to hear what I have to say. But I know that when it does come out, I really don't have a lot to say now because that doesn't reflect on me. That's his responsibility, his actions, program or not program. And I have my own and he has his higher power. So I've learned to accept that too. But I really liked just talking about this topic because it's always been like a struggle for me dealing with lies and being hurt by them. It just takes a long time to build trust for me. And when a lie pursues that, it's just even more because I feel like I'm worthy and and I associate it with being loved, I guess, the honest truth. I appreciate the topic and thank you for letting me share. I wanted to share on episode number 133. It was about the four L's episode. Listen, learn, let go, and love. I guess I never really heard of these four L's before, but I know that a lot of times I find myself maybe trying to, you know, fix other people's problems. I guess 
For me, I don't really look at it as controlling a situation, but now that I step back and can see it for what it is, I just know that the program has taught me that everyone has their own higher power and everyone has their own ability to make their own decision, whether it be something that I agree with or not. It's not for me to say. Just like I wouldn't want someone to do that for me, control how I handle a situation or the way I make my decisions. And then as far as I know, it also said something about, do you have to be right or have the last word in a discussion or an argument? And oh God, that was me like in the very beginning. I think that's what caused a lot of my frustration and a lot of the arguments with one of my qualifiers. But now that I look back on it, it was so stupid. I don't even know why I had to have the final say, the final word. Part of me like looks back and thinks that maybe... I was hurt and I just wanted some validation or something. As far as now, I guess I could pause and think about things a little bit before I react or get upset. I can let a lot of things go and sometimes that's good for me and sometimes it's not. If I let things go, I notice that they could pile up a little bit and I end up either getting resentful or just having enough and getting overwhelmed and then kind of comes out in a weird way. So I don't know. I always try to think, handle, you know, situations differently just because I don't want to cause an argument. But I definitely don't want to be walked over or anything like that, too. So it's just hard sometimes to figure out what my next right thing should be. And a lot of times I do talk to my sponsor or I talk to one of my Al Anon friends that's really good about listening, just maybe pointing out what they view. As far as the program goes, encouraging me to use my tools and use the slogans and maybe reflect a little bit. That's always helpful when I can reason things out with someone because a lot of times I'll just talk to them about what my concern is or what's bothering me or how I'm feeling. When I hear myself speak to someone else, I think I'm more rational and so I can go back and it gives me time to maybe pause a little bit, think about what really is important here and do I really need to make an issue out of anything? But also it says when someone disagrees with you, or do you feel inadequate? Do you get angry or defensive? I do a lot. I guess that's one of my character defects. A lot of times what causes an issue is I'll express how I feel and my qualifier will immediately say, no, this is how it was. So I do get frustrated sometimes. So I get in these moods like, why do I have to be the one to write about it? Why do I have to be the one to pray about it? Why do I have to be the one to, you know, and so I get in this mode of thinking and I I snap out of it. I think I just get crazy. But anyways, I really like the topic and thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Alina. And that is our mailbag for today. And there are more. There, I still have a backlog and they will be coming to you in future episodes. Anna, what is the third song that that you chose for this topic of gentleness with yourself? The third song is a song that just recently popped up on my Spotify uh, list that Spotify suggests songs to me. And I liked it so much because it's called Touch the Sky and the band's name is The Mamas. And it's really, for me, it was a song I thought, yeah, this is what I want to sing to my children. They sing, there's always going to be a few battles. And maybe you will have to fight, but I know you can fly. 
And life can be a little bit scary, but you got what it takes to thrive. But I know you can fly, so touch the sky. And it was one of these things where I thought, yeah, I want to tell all these things to my daughters, but I can first tell all these things to myself. There you go. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time.